fire, earth, water, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed and the water nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hey everyone, Madame Melamio here, welcoming you to Chapter 16, The Deserter. Now, I know I've been talking about this over and over the last couple episodes, but once again, I am reminding you that some of the chapters of this fic have not been edited in, let's say, a decade, generously. Um, given that fact, and the fact that it takes a while to edit, we've now caught up with and surpassed the point at which the author is editing. So... This week's episode is, in fact, a chapter that has not been edited yet. That's my disclaimer. Other than that, um, thank you for listening. Here's the ad. Chapter 16, The Deserter. Author's Notes. This is another one kind of similar to the premise of the original episode, but it has its differences. Book 1, Fire. Chapter 15, The Deserter She moved like a dancer. She was weaving, glistening, shining, illuminating. He could sit there for hours using all different words to describe her, yet it was only one thing she was doing. Her pond was oddly clear in the moonlight. He was hiding in the bushes, leaning his head against his arm, just watching with a faint smile on his face. He missed simple enjoyments like these. She never knew he was there, but it was better this way. She wouldn't have to know about his feelings. Not yet. And yet, Toph knew. She easily sensed his heartbeat whenever she was around. She knew when he walked off to find her training alone. He used to go under the pretense to protect her, since it was dangerous for them to be alone these days. Toph didn't buy it. Of course she didn't. It didn't take the Master Earthbender to know that Katara could handle any trouble by herself, especially under the light of the moon. They were each a little older now, each day a battle of survival in the world, ridden with war. He had gone so long without touching her, without the feeling of her lips on his. He missed those days. But ever since the first kiss, she never mentioned it again. The war took precedence in their lives. They had no time for love anymore. All of them, and most importantly Sokka, had learned the hard way with the loss of Suki and everyone else they cared for. As his mind wandered, Katara seemed to have spotted him. From her standing position on the water, she touched one of her many ribbons of water, and attacked the figure in the bushes, not even moving from her twirl beforehand to indicate that she'd even noticed her observer. She had grown clever as much as she'd become more beautiful over the years. With a cry, the figure in the bushes fell back as he was doused with the water. Katara seemed to glide over to him, ready to attack again, but her water fell when she saw the person's identity. Aang? She tilted her head, confused. Her luminescent blue eyes came into his view, and he grinned weakly. Hello, he tried to say nonchalantly. Katara gave him a curious, amused smile. I was just coming to check up on you. Well, somehow I caught the almighty Avatar off guard. You should have been more careful. I thought you were someone else, and I could have seriously hurt you. That's okay, he said, standing up with a smile. He seemed to reserve them only for her these days. He trusted her waterbending. It would never, ever harm him. She was much too gentle and caring. He had seen her fierceness in battle, but with her family, she was a different person. For Katara, waterbending was something to be cherished. It was part of the reason why he didn't bend water as much as the other elements. The element of water belonged to her. Come on, let's head back to camp. You're all dirty now, she said to him. And together, they returned to the rest of their family, walking side by side. He wasn't shorter than her anymore. Aang woke up happier that morning. His sleep was much more pleasant than usual, but he couldn't remember for the life of him what he dreamed that night. His better mood didn't go unnoticed by the other members of his traveling group. You're looking unusually chipper this morning, Tylee chirped, handing him a bowl of porridge for breakfast. Did you sleep well? He laughed as Sabashi jumped all over him, licking his face. Tylee took that as an answer and smiled. Aang seemed so strange today. 
Zuko commented to Tylee and Azula out of Aang's earshot. He seems like a regular kid. It was something that had always unnerved them when they first met Aang. He was 12, but acted much older than he appeared. This was a nice change, the three decided. They ate as they watched the Avatar shower affection on his bison, who was groaning appreciatively for his attention. When Aang finally sat down next to the cooking fire to take his food, Azula sprung a question on him. So, where are we going next? Aang paused for a moment as he lifted the food into his mouth, then turned thoughtful. Well, we should keep heading north, he said. The Fire Nation really isn't that large, so we should reach the Golden City in just a few days. Tylee, who was in the middle of shoveling a portion of porridge into her mouth, choked and her gray eyes became wide. Tylee, are you alright? Zuko asked her hurriedly, moving to help her. With one almighty gulp, Tylee swallowed her food and took a deep breath. Yes, I'm fine, thanks, she quickly said. We're going to be there in just a few days. I think so, Zuko said, unraveling one of the maps he kept close at hand. Our detour through the outer islands slowed us down a bit, but we're back on track and in the mainland again, directly north of the old capital. Aang's face, which just seemed to be a happy facade, returned to normal. Why did you seem so nervous about going to the Golden City? He asked Tylee suspiciously. Me? Nervous? What do you mean? The girl asked, twiddling her fingers together and shifting her eyes quickly from side to side. Let me see the map. She snatched the old piece of parchment from Zuko and quickly scanned it with her eyes. Oh, look, right there. That's what I wanted to show you guys before we got to the Golden City. What is it? Azula asked, her eyes narrowed. She was just as suspicious of the girl at that moment as Aang was. The acrobat handed the map to her. Not too far away from here are the water gardens, the girl explained. It's one of the most beautiful places in the Fire Nation. What is it? said Zuko, distastefully. It's a very extensive river system, she responded. I've been there once. There's so much water around because of all the rivers intersecting with each other. The plant life makes the place look so cool, especially at night. There are so many glowy bugs. And why would we want to go there? Aang asked with his arms crossed. Yes, that seems pointless, said Azula. It's one of the Fire Nation's most romantic locales, she said, elbowing Azula. I want to bring Zuko there, said Boy flushed immediately. Well, I, I don't mind, Zuko managed to say, his face burning. It could be worth seeing. But we'll have to wait till around nighttime. It's the best then, said Tylee. All right, let's go, Azula said immediately. What? Aang explained, turning to her. A second ago, you were on my side. Then it's decided, Tylee clapped her hands together. As the others began to pack up camp, Tylee began to feel guilty, but disguised her thoughts with a smile. Hopefully they get through the impending problems in one piece. There's no doubt about it now, said Sokka, poring over his maps with his lieutenant, Kinto. The Avatar must be heading to the Golden City to find a firebending teacher. He must have thought he could throw me off with his detour. Doesn't he already have a firebender with him, sir? That girl? Kinto asked. Sokka's lithe fingers automatically moved to the flame headpiece in his pocket, rubbing the delicate piece of jewelry. She is weak, Sokka said abruptly. I've observed her closely in battle. She must also be searching for a master. Aside from the Avatar, the only member of their little team worth worrying about would be the other girl, and she doesn't even have any weapons. Do not underestimate her, Prince Sokka, Kana said, loudly, bursting into the room with a tray of seal biscuits. I don't plan to, Grandmother, he said coldly, refusing to stare into her direction. She is a formidable dim mock master. I've studied her, too. He knew the basis of her fighting sidle, having intensely studied nearly all kinds. Hers was rare, but not impenetrable. In just two encounters, her battle style was heavily calculated by the waterbender. She threw a wrench into his plans once before, but now she was being factored into them. The one-eyed boy was suddenly pushed aside by his grandmother, whose eyes scanned the map hurriedly. She bent her wrinkled face close to the parchment, a grin growing on her face. We're near the water gardens. Let's go see them. 
Her eyes twinkled as she begged to her grandson. We must reach the Golden City, said Sokka. One of the Water Nation strongholds are there. I do not want to run into Bato again. He pulled his machete from his sheath and twirled it in his fingers, then grasped it tightly and stared into the blade. He is an obstacle. But the water gardens are magical, said Kana. At night, the spirits light up all of the water and the plants in the air. It draws many tourists, and there are plenty of places to waterbend. But best of all, there will be plenty of girls there that are your age, sighing romantically in the loneliness. I said no, Sokka said sternly. It is a significant and good place to look, and from what we've learned of the Avatar's movements, he surely likes to visit these tourist spots. He didn't reply. Bato's going to get the Avatar first if we don't go. He seemed to be thinking about it. You'll get an extra helping of sea biscuits, she crooned. Captain, set a course for the water gardens. Kana donned her multicolored flamingo parrot pattern shirt and straw hat in joy. Outside of the room, on the ship, hiding among the prince's cargo, a blue masked figure waited. Oppa's tail lapped against the clear blue water as he swam through the narrow river system with the passengers on his back. Sabashi batted at gnats in the air. Tai Lee was hanging off of Oppa's horn, blowing herself as far as she could into the water and staring at her reflection. Zuko's head was turning all around to stare at everything around them, while Aang gave Tai Lee a suspicious stare, and Azula seemed uninterested. Aang could see why the water gardens were well known. Although it was unpleasantly hot and his clothes and hair stuck to his skin, the water was refreshingly clear and blue, and the large plants on either side of them vividly green, with multicolored wildflowers dotting the moist forest. The peculiar sounds of daytime animals and exotic birds filled the air. Even though little of his attention was on his surroundings, being in an area where life was hitting him with all of its intensity was truly amazing. He was used to war-torn lands, fire, and destruction, and it was a rarity in this world, too. According to Zuko and Azula, as well as Haru back in the old Earth Kingdom military outpost, the Earth Kingdom here was a dry, dead wasteland or a sprawling desert. Does anyone want to go swimming? Tidley suddenly asked, turning her head to them. The water is so clear and cool. As Aang directed his stare to the pristine water, he seemed to feel the coolness calling to him. If only he could waterbend again. He thought momentarily about going for a swim. It would be fun. <gasps> Sokka! Azula leapt out of her seat, staring avidly down the river. Aang's head shot to that direction, seeing a wooden ship turn a bend, heading right toward them. How do you know it's that him? Zuko asked, jumping to Appa's head to grab the reins. Who else has a wooden ship, dum-dum? Azula rolled her eyes, turned to Aang. Are we running or fighting? There's really no point in fighting him when we can just run away, Aang mused, leaning over the saddle to stare deeper into the water. Uh-oh, said Tai Lee, staring in the totally opposite direction. As Aang watched, the river seemed to be halting its flow, even moving in the other direction. He looked up as a shadow passed over the bison. Subashi squeaked with fear. Three silver skiffs sailed toward them, coming from one of the many rivers that forked into the main one behind them. Several waterbenders stood on the decks, moving as one to gather a large wave to topple the Avatar's bison. Fly! Aang shouted. I'm on it, Zuko returned, snapping the reins. Appa, yip yip! The bison needed no further encouragement, sensing the fear and danger that quickly approached them. With a mighty flap of its tail, which splashed water everywhere, the bison leapt into the sky. Tylee sat back in the saddle with a sigh of relief. Oh man, that was a close one! What are the two of them doing here? Azula wondered aloud. Sokka and Bato would never work together! She trailed off as her question was answered. From the sky, the four could easily see the numerous buildings that dotted the formerly all-natural water gardens. Trees were dried out and withered. Sleek silver ships were docked along the river's banks. The flag of the water tribes was proudly displayed over the landscape. This was territory claimed by the enemy. The fire siblings gasped. Azula rounded on Tai Lee, who was silent. You knew, she accused. On the other side of the saddle, totally removed from what was going on around him, 
Aang stared over the side of Appa into the wooden ship below them. His gray, stormy eyes met Sokka's angry blue ones. After appearing contemplative for a moment, he jumped. The wind ripped at his clothes and hair as he fell towards the ground in the water. His arms and legs sprawled out on all sides. His companions' panicked shouts were lost to him as he soared, feeling free of all troubles, captured wholly by the pure exhilaration of falling, falling. The boy unfurled his glider and easily seemed to float the rest of the short distance, landing right in the middle of Sokka's deck in a crouch. He swept his staff out in a circle, knocking several of the soldiers away quickly with a blast of wind. Sokka was on his toes and quick to retaliate, gathering streams of water from the river below and sending them at the Avatar, constant and unwavering. Aang dodged the spear of another offending soldier, swinging his staff upward once, and then brought up the other side and slammed the man into the deck with air-powered strikes. The force of the attacks knocked him unconscious, but Aang was moving again before the soldier even hit the ground. He kicked off one of the balustrades, swept the floor of soldiers, seemed to ride the wind, and came crashing down again with astounding force. He ducked under a vicious boomerang attack and turned to his only remaining opponent. Sokka deftly caught the weapon as it returned obediently to him, staring the Avatar resolutely in the eye. Aang, to the prince's surprise, dropped his staff in a gesture of surrender. I don't want to fight you. We need to talk. You should listen to him, grandson, said the voice of an old woman, arriving on the slippery wet deck. Batu's ship slowly but surely approached, only an arrow shot away. A hand of diplomacy is a welcome one. Maybe for you, Sokka shot at her. Leave me. This is our business. Aang nodded his head in acknowledgement of the old woman. Kana. Her misty blue eyes widened, but she nodded back. What is it that you'd like to say? He turned back to the prince. Sokka, I, I know that somewhere there is good in you. You are a naive fool, Bato interrupted them. His ship was now close enough to speak to them. Sokka did not move. He tried not to look at the other waterbender. Any good soul that was in our most esteemed prince has long since withered away. He is but a shell of a man now. Aang's eyes widened. He knew it. It existed at one point. He had to bring it back. Bring the old Sokka back. His heart swelled in elation. I would tell you to get away from here, Kana started. But since you formally defeated him in a Sedna Kai... Stop it, Sokka growled dangerously. Do not say another word. Nobody had a chance to. Suddenly, arrows, men, and weapons flew from the trees surrounded them, dirty brown and green and blue cloaks swinging by vines to land on either side of the two ships. Batu's soldiers immediately responded to the attack, lifting their weapons, but they were felled quickly. The mysterious fighters swarmed the two ships with concentrated skill, helping Aang out of a situation he was disgruntled to see discontinued. To his shock, one of the fighters, a boy scarcely older than Zuko or Sokka, spoke to him, wielding a ball of water. Follow us, he said in a rush, hurling the concentrated sphere. Your friends are safe. That was all the confirmation he needed. As soon as most of the soldiers were down, the attackers fled from the scene. Aang followed with equal speed, which was saying a lot. Theirs was astounding. Their carefully practiced feet stepped over any knot in the uneven ground, around any rogue branch, through the swampy ground. The sounds of battle were lost behind them as the dirty cloaked men rushed back into the foliage. Aang was heavily reminded of the swampbenders back in his world. Was this the new representation of them here? Why were they in the Fire Nation? Suddenly, without warning, the group was thrown into a clearing. Aang, who meant no more resistance from the rainforest, almost stumbled and fell. He caught himself just in time and looked around. He spotted Appa first, with Zuko, Azula, and Tylee still sitting upon him, looking tense and wary. His eyes passed over them quickly, wanting to get a feel of the terrain around him, just in case they needed a quick escape. It was just a small clearing with a fierce river cutting right through the center and a dense forest on all sides. A meager camp seemed to be set up all around them, filled with brown-cloaked waterbenders. What is this place? Aang asked the waterbender who rescued him. Who are you guys? We're all deserters from the Water Nation Navy, the young man said proudly. Of course, we're not the first. Our leader, Master Paku, is. He's a great man and a powerful waterbender. A jolt of excitement burned through his veins, and Aang smiled. Another old friend, and this time he was on Aang's side. 
My name's Sangok, the man continued. I'm the second person to desert the Water Navy and survive. But of course, you don't get acknowledged for that. My name's Aang, the boy said to him. Can I meet Master Paku? Of course, we already know you're the Avatar. Did you come here to master waterbending? I would be honored, Aang said hurriedly. He had great respect for the man. He, too, died during the war for him. It would be nice to see Paku again. I'll go get him, the excited youth said. Aang watched him run off to one of the tents, and he walked over to his friends. Guys, we're safe here. You can come down now, he said. Aang, they're waterbenders, Azula said, which she thought explained everything. I know, but they're on our side, he replied. How did you guys get here? We were going back to help you after you made your stupid move that they caught us and told us to come here, Azula said sharply, emphasizing the word stupid. We just found out they were waterbenders. Yes, which is why they're going to teach me, he said with a grin. Zuko almost fell over with shock, but Tylee looked relieved. Won't that take a bit of time? Tylee asked. She seemed almost hopeful. As Aang gave her a calculating glare, two men emerged from a tent. One was Sangok, young and excitable. The other was an old man with a sour expression. The top of his head was bald, but the hair he had was white. He wore faded blue skins and walked with the experience that came with age. Paku was exactly as Aang remembered him. You are a strange boy, Avatar Aang, said the old waterbender, who was eyeing him. You are a child, and you claim not knowing how to bend the other three elements. Yet you walk as if you were a fully realized avatar, one with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Your eyes have seen pain and destruction. You have lost people who were important to you. I do not believe that you have not mastered waterbending. You are as perceptive as ever, Master Paku, Aang thought to himself, inwardly smiling. And you are skeptical. I'm glad you haven't lost that. Oh, but I have, Aang responded with the same tone, to the surprise of his friends. I have mastered waterbending a thousand times over. I have lived a thousand lives worth of pain and loss. Yet I'm doing it again, and again, and again. That is the way of the Avatar, Master Paku. Now there is not a doubt in my mind. You even speak with the deflective tones of a master waterbender. Despite that fact, I will teach you as you wish. Aang's facade was lost. A surprise flooded his expression. What? That's it? You aren't even going to lecture me about mastering the elements in the wrong order? I should, shouldn't I? He wondered aloud, stroking his beard. Why bother? You must already know this. Besides, Avatar Kurik visited me in a dream very recently and told me of your situation. It is imperative that you master waterbending for the thousand and first time. Aang's eyebrows went up into his hair and his mouth hung open. Was Paco insinuating that he knew about the arrival of Seryu's moon or that he knew Aang was from a different world? Paco was staring at him knowingly. Aang nodded to the old man. That's all well and good, but if you're running from the Navy, why are you hiding in their territory? Azula interjected. It seems stupid to me. Paku smirked cleverly. Because they would never think to search for us here. We are located next to the roughest river in all of the water gardens. Nobody ever follows it. We are perfectly safe for now. This place has been under control of the water Navy. For almost five years. He gestured for Sangok to go away. The young man nodded and left. That was exactly what Azula wanted to know. She rounded on Ty Lee. You must have known this place was under the control of the enemy, she hissed. You've been here before. You brought us into danger, knowing full well what would happen. That's right, Aang immediately said, having forgotten about Ty Lee. You have been hiding something from us. Before, I respected your privacy. Now, since your secret is endangering us, I demand to know. The girl looked so small and afraid, staring at her feet and holding her braid close. I... I can't tell you. She seemed to be almost crying. Then you're leaving, Aang said roughly. 
no, she shouted, her pain-filled eyes looking into his equally gray ones. Don't make me leave. You guys are my friends. You have to trust me on this. What reason do we have to trust you? Zuko finally spoke, refusing to stare Tylee in the face. Tylee looked as if she were slapped. Paku was staring at the acrobat calculatingly. He recognized her. He knew who she was. He knew what she was and why she was keeping it a secret. Are we going to start your training or what? He interrupted the knot of friends. They all turned from Ty Lee to stare at him, the firebender with an angry look on her face. I apologize, Master Paku. Ty Lee's been with us for a while, but she is hiding things, Aang explained. And I know exactly what she's hiding, the old man responded. All four faces looked up again in shock. Ty Lee's was the greatest, but that is her secret to keep. It is not a terrible burden, I'll tell you that. Just trust her. And then he was stubbornly silent on the matter. Look, Tylee started. I promise that I'll tell you once we get to the Golden City. Okay? Aang, knowing that was as far as they would get with her, nodded reluctantly. Fine, you can stay, but as long as your secret doesn't endanger us again. Tylee nodded with thanks. Zuko looked hurt and slightly betrayed. Azula looked unconvinced. Luckily, when learning waterbending, Aang did not have to suffer through any tedious breathing exercises or strict discipline. Paku simply taught of the movement and grace and cutting ability of waterbenders, the power to adapt, redirect, and balance. Waterbending was the element of change. The master waterbender began the same way Katara did all those years ago. They first tried the simplest of all waterbending moves, shifting the water up and down the riverbank like ocean surf washing up on a beach. It was on a much smaller scale, and Aang grasped it well the first time around, but something happened this time that surprised him. He exhaled, and the coldness in his heart seemed to manifest itself as the water froze solid beneath him, nearly anchoring his own feet to the ground. However, as they progressed further, the same thing that happened with his firebending training happened again. Something deep inside of him seemed to click, and basic knowledge and memories of waterbending flooded into him. He knew of a waterbender's philosophy, movements, and stability. He was able to grab the outside source, feel the water flowing through his veins, and pull a stream of water into the air. Aang smiled. He was a waterbender again. Paku and his men did not plan to move from the middle of the lion turtle's den anytime soon. It was needless to do so until they were discovered. As a result, the Avatar gang didn't leave either. At around noon the next day, Paku decided to leave Aang and the others alone along the riverbank running through the camp. Zuko and Tai Lee were relaxing together on the lip of a rock that jutted out above the river, while Aang and Azula were right on the river's banks, practicing their firebending. He was forbidden to waterbend without Paku around, which caused Aang's firebending to be more aggressive and angry than normal. He hated being treated like a child. You're not concentrating, Azula snapped at him after a few minutes. You nearly burned me. I want to waterbend, he said frankly. His gray eyes peered at the rough river, deep and foreboding. A single rock poked out of the foam near the center. Missoula rolled her eyes. Don't tell me you're thinking about going there. You can waterbend perfectly fine from over here. Not for what I have in mind, he said with a very Azula-like smirk. He took a few steps backward, carefully calculated the distance to the tiny rock, and jumped. The air currents easily brought him over the distance safely, but when he landed, his feet almost slipped. He turned back to Azula once he stabilized himself and gave her a triumphant grin. She rolled her eyes again. Occasionally, water lapped up over the surface of the rock and threatened to pull him along with the river. He quickly remedied this by freezing his feet to the rock. Satisfied and facing against the flow of the river, he held out his hand and diverted the water around his rock. Next, he lifted a short, circular wall of water that surrounded him on all sides. But it grew and grew until he was covered in a gigantic sphere. He lowered his hands, let the water fall around him as he prepared another move in his mind. Tai Lee waved at him from the lip of a rock she was seated on, and she shouted something, but he couldn't hear her over the roar of the river. Aang threw his hands out perfectly straight on either side of him. The water responded, jumping up onto the riverbank. He pulled his hands quickly back together, pulling all the water back to his side to prepare another move, 
but was halted abruptly when he heard a shout above the roar of the river. Behind him, Azula's red form was being ripped down the river stream, and she was doing all she could to keep her head above the water. Aang cursed and quickly tried to jump after her, but his frozen feet anchored himself in place, and he almost fell in the river himself. With a quick wave of his hand, the water melted, and he was prepared to follow her before she was lost. But he didn't have his glider. He was beginning to panic. Despite the fact that he would never make it in time, he jumped across the river back to shore to find his glider and follow her through the air, but was distracted by Master Paku swooping into the river and surfing down it on a board of ice faster than he could follow. As Aang landed on solid ground, Zuko and his Tai Lee rushed over to him. Why weren't you paying attention? Zuko demanded of the boy. You were waterbending pulled my sister into the river. Stop shouting! I'm sure it was an accident! Tylee tried to intervene. She could be drowning! Zuko roared, and he seemed ready to jump into the river himself. Zuko, she's going to be fine! Aang yelled over him. Paku's going after her! She's safe now! Zuko tried pushing Aang out of the way to fall along the riverbank after Paku and Azula, but Aang grabbed his arm and threw him to the ground. Zuko, calm down! You're not thinking straight! Paku is one of the strongest waterbenders I know! She'll be fine. Aang was too angry and involved with what he was doing to notice his slip. Tylee cringed as Zuko hit the ground. She's all I have left, Zuko pitifully moaned. He did not move from his spot on the ground, and Aang relaxed. Tylee sat down and brought Zuko's head into her lap and stroked his hair, murmuring soft words. Aang stared down after Azula and Paku, hoping he was right and Azula would be safe. Hidden behind one of the large leaves in the forest, Bato smirked as he watched the group of close-knit friends clash. This could be advantageous, he thought to himself. He was the one who had thrust his hand out and swallowed the girl in the river. And above him, on the branch of a tree, the blue spirit stared. Paku caught up to her quickly, seeing the girl's thick, raven-black hair among the white foam of the river. Before he even reached her, he lifted one of his hands and thrust the water up from under her, throwing her onto solid ground. He skidded across the ice and landed next to her as she sputtered on her knees. That boy is a fool, Paku said immediately, not even asking if she was all right. Just as he showed no compassion, she offered no gratitude. Tell me about it, Azula coughed. She brought her hands up to both sides of her mouth and expelled small bits of fire, both to warm her up and clear her lungs. It sounded much like a violent cough. Paku regarded her with a distant eye, a strangely empathetic one. She was familiar to him, and for reasons known only to him, he felt protective of her. Without knowing why, he spoke to the young girl. I always wanted to be a firebender. She looked up at him, eyeing him with a curious, penetrating stare. In his mind, her face flashed to a younger version, and then back again. She uttered one word. Why? She couldn't place it, but now Paku seemed vaguely familiar to her. <clears throat> Water and ice are cold, as you just witnessed, and can be fierce and dangerous. Fire burns with warmth and life. Azula snorted and stood up. Fire is life itself, she said. It breathes and grows and eats just like a living being, to the point of being out of control. As a matter of fact, all of the elements are equally dangerous. What about an earthquake or a rock slide? A tornado? She laughed derisively to herself. And Aang told me you were wise. Normally, Paku would have scolded her for talking out of turn, but now he was silent. Aang kicked a loose stone on the ground as he trooped off from the camp and away from the others. Zuko was still angry. Azula and Paku weren't back yet, but it had only been a few minutes and Tai Lee was keeping Zuko company. As he walked, he had only one thing on his mind. Sokka didn't hold grudges as long as Zuko. And it made him miss his old friends even more. What's wrong, Avatar? Aang's head snapped to the voice, easily recognizing the derisive tone as Bato's. Before he could move, Vine snaked up his hands and feet, binding him in place. We want Bato, he wore a snarl, but he wasn't phased by the man who was hiding in the trees. He did not make an effort to escape. The vines crawled further around his body, completely constricting him. Then he became unbalanced and fell. This was all he could do? Just some conversation, the waterbender replied from the dense foliage. Now if you'd come with me... The man began to use his waterbending to drag Aang across the ground, pulling him in the direction of the river. If he thought he could drown Aang easily, he was in for a surprise. 
If it was an ambush, he could easily escape. He was not concerned. Why are you separated from your friends? Well, I wanted some time alone, but I was rudely interrupted, Aang replied without batting an eye. Your friends no longer trust you, do they? Bato dragged him to the open riverside, and Aang was suddenly blinded by the bright sunlight. But his eyes adjusted quickly. He felt the heat on his face, and the plant that was constricting him was withering and dying. What makes you think that? Aang asked him face to face now that he was visible. Bato's eyes thinned, and he cleverly smirked. There is no peace among your little group. You all have your... secrets. What do you know? Aang asked him, anger seeping into his voice. You've been spying, you little lowlife, haven't you? That may be so. But why don't you leave them? They don't want you, nor need you. They don't care. What, so you want me to join you or something corny like that? Sorry, but I'm not about to fall for something so stupid, Bato. That's Admiral Bato, you little brat. The waterbender's eyes narrowed to slits. So, I see that is your decision. Loyal to your friends like a good little avatar, aren't you? Bato took a step back and clenched his hand, causing the vines around Aang to tighten. You have no choice. You are my prisoner now. You wish, Aang replied, straining against the force of the vines. He breathed in and out, centering the heat of the sun on his hands and torso. Concentrating, he threw his hands from his constraints in a burst of fire which burnt the vines to crisps. He took a firebending stance, but when they on the attack quickly, hurling a fireball at the older man. Fighting head-on just isn't my style, said Bato, drawing water from the river into a shield, absorbing the attack. He returned it back to Aang and jumped toward the water, walking across it like a waterbending master. Before he could unleash another fireball from his fingertips, Bato raised both of his hands and the water washed all around them both, coiling around the two and shielding Bato from Aang's view. Then, it froze. Welcome to my domain, Avatar. Aang looked straight up at the only opening in the ice and jumped toward it, but it sealed together and froze quickly. Aang smirked and waved his hand over it, unfreezing the ice himself. The water splashed onto him, but he jumped out of the ice prison and looked around him. Bato had constructed a large dome of ice, with few holes interspersed throughout the surface, designing small tunnels underneath. Well, if he wanted to play that game, then let's play, Aang said quietly to himself, a grin growing on his face. He loved the games. He dove headfirst into one of the holes. It was a narrow fit, but using a combination of both his firebending and his very limited waterbending, he was able to melt most of the ice around him and continue whenever there was a block in the tunnel. Very rarely were they large enough for him to stand. Finally, he reached solid ground, the river bottom, and was able to stand up straight. There was no sign of Bato. And then, an ice spike shot from the wall, nearly impaling the boy. He nearly had dodged it, but both sides of the tunnel closed, imprisoning him. He used what little airbending he could in the tight space to jump near the ceiling, where he dug his hand into the ice to hold himself. Next, he blasted the ceiling away with a concentrated burst of fire, where he emerged into open air once again. Immediately, he noticed that the dome was constructed of many walls. The ceiling ice was taken away to form even more of a maze. As such, he was able to see Bato through some of the spires of ice. The man was moving quickly through the walls he had made, sealing them back up again and sending concentrated water blasts or spikes of ice at the airbender. Aang dodged each one of them or countered with as much fire as he could muster, but Bato quickly stopped his movement by melting the ice he was standing on instantly and freezing his legs inside. Aang struggled to move, condensing heat on his feet while he simultaneously sent small fireballs at Bato or generated winds with his hands. The ice around him melted further and the water dragged the avatar in until he was completely submerged. The surface of the water froze, sealing off his only escape and trapping him in a globe of water and ice. Aang held his breath as it was the only thing he could do. He wanted to curse Bato and his deceptive style of fighting. It was something he definitely wasn't used to. The ice cutting off his escape froze and thickened further, quickly limiting what little space he had. Instead of cursing Bato, he concentrated on his chances of survival, which were getting slimmer. Airbending was useless underwater. Earthbending wasn't an option. Firebending? The ice was too thick to melt, and his own mere waterbending would never work against Bato's superior power. If only he had a sword. He remembered Sokka's weapon, cutting through steel. That would have been useful here. Unfortunately, he had never picked up a sword in either of his lives. Aang was beginning to feel lightheaded. His chest began to pump. 
His eyelids became heavier. His space became smaller and smaller. Unable to hold it in anymore, he opened his mouth as if to scream. And suddenly, he was thrust up and out of the water, melting warm air once again. He gulped in the huge breaths, but forgot about the water in his system and began to hack it out. When he was able, he managed to look up to see the brown-cloaked form of Paku. But Paku wasn't looking at Aang. The boy looked behind him, following Paku's wordless gaze, noticing for the first time the place where two rivers came into one. They were feeding into the main, large, vicious river where Paku's camp lied, and two Water Tribe riverboats were following the flow of the river. Aang spotted Sokka at the helm of one. The other ship must have belonged to Bato. Aang cursed as Bato smirked. Bato was only distracting him. Step back and go with your friends, Paku said to Aang sternly. They are safe behind us. But what about you? Aang asked his master. I'll deal with the soldiers, the old man said with a characteristic smirk. The ice prison all around them melted except for the small platform they were on, which simply lowered to ground level. Paku raised his arms and summoned all the melted water, which rose into a great orb around the two and blasted towards the two ships. The boats were instantly swept up by the torrent, but at least a dozen soldiers, plus Sokka and his aged grandmother, jumped from each. With water constantly feeding his arsenal, Paku rose up tall, spinning water snakes, and blasted water with the dozens of soldiers below him, whipping several out with each wave. Paku's arms moved with grace only a full master could acquire, bending his wrists and washing the shoulders repeatedly, switching between states of water to whim. Finally, he froze down most of the soldiers in an expansive snowfall, a prison's vice. Aang spent no time being awed by the display of power, but Zuko, Azula, and Tai Lee did. He snapped them out of their trances by calling to them. Azula, help me take care of Bato and Sokka, he yelled to the firebender. She tore her eyes away from the spectacle and nodded, her face becoming set as she willed the fire in her blood to burn. Seconds later, the two arrived as if expecting this fight to happen. Or perhaps they were racing to get Aang. He didn't care either way. This time, Aang took his refined airbending stance while Azula readied her own. Quickly calculating the strength of his two opponents with his eyes, Aang decided how this battle would turn out. To win, he would have to fight Bato and leave Sokka up to Azula. Aang built up inertia with a quick circular motion and unleashed the winds on Bato, sending the man flying away from Sokka. Aang followed relentlessly, flicking his wrist to send blasts of air at Bato, but he rolled to the side to avoid it, kicking out his feet. Meanwhile, Sokka attacked Azula first, as if to get her out of the way so he could claim his prize. She blocked the water attack with a hastily constructed wall of fire, circling around Sokka and shooting a fireball from her fingertips in a counterattack. Her thick, black hair whipped at her face, nearly blocking her view. Sokka absorbed the attack and retaliated with a concentrated sear of water, which she dodged by rolling to the side. You fight like an airbender, Sokka said, his eye narrowing. You clearly do not know your own art. Shut up, she shouted back, nearly lunging forward with the force of her own punch. A wave of fire launched from her fists, but he used the water on the ground around him to construct a wall that deflected it. He then condensed that wall into ice and shot the spikes at her. She ducked, lacking the power to stop the attack. Since her method wasn't working, she decided to try and distract him with words. I'm getting my headpiece back today, she growled at him, bent low. She was ready to move at a moment's notice. I like to see you try, he responded to the challenge. He pulled the flamed headpiece out of his pocket and stuck it in his warrior's wolf tail, openly mocking her. There, try and take it. Azula jumped up into a kick and sent an arc of burning fire his way, but he ran to the side and used puddles from the ground to launch discs of water at her. Azula took a move from Ty Lee's buck and cartwheeled out of the way of each one. She smirked. You can't hit me, she taunted. She stopped. Small daggers fired him next and charged forward right behind them, gathering more fire at the tips of her fingers. As Sokka concentrated on blocking the small projectiles, she pulled the fire up and seemed to slash at him, leaving a tail of fire like a whip in its wake. Sokka barely managed to block the attack, but she reached her hand up and wrapped her slim, white fingers around the pronged headpiece. But she left her midsection open. Sokka blasted her in the gut the ball of water, hurling her several feet away. She landed on the ground, gasping in pain. Sokka smirked in victory and was about to go over to defeat Aang, but he felt a lack of weight in his head. His face turned to one of shock. The flamed crown was gone. Azula smirked, holding her prized possession in her hands once again. You got lucky, he hissed. No matter. That's a small loss. Keep it. Azula, totally spent, couldn't find the energy to stop him as he went toward Aang. How the heck did I get matched up with the old lady? Tylee asked in a loose combat stance. Kana held her hands behind her back, tilted her head, and smiled. 
You must never underestimate old ladies, Connor responded, giving the girl a smile that reached her eyes. I know plenty of powerful ones. Okay, stand there like a nice old lady, Tylee said, slowly approaching her. She seemed to ignore every word Connor said. You're a cute little thing, you know that? Anyways, this won't hurt. Just stand still. I gotta stop your bending, just in case. Oh? Kana asked, interested. Tylee raised her hand to strike the woman's shoulder, but was stopped abruptly when Kana flipped her hand forward, gathering all the water and frost on the ground and locking her in a great pillar of ice. What? Hey! Tylee tried to struggle. Her arms and legs sprawled. She couldn't move. Darn you old ladies! She cried. Kana just smiled. Paku surfed downstream, escaping the notice of the Avatar and his friends as he fled back to his camp. His followers, not knowing of the battle, would be waiting. Now that they were found, they had to leave. He had confidence in the Avatar's abilities. They would escape from Commander Bato and Prince Sokka with ease. Besides, it wasn't right to disrupt the balance and teach the Avatar waterbending before Earth or fire. A black-clad figure jumped from the trees to his left, seeming to glide through the air and call up the water around it, creating a solid total wall of ice that split the river completely. This happened so fast that the aged man nearly collided with the wall. The figure skidded across the top with apparent ease. As soon as the unknown waterbender stopped, balancing precariously atop the created wall, Paku absorbed her feminine figure and blue onai mask. Aside from the mask, she was dressed completely in black. The hair that she might have had was concealed inside her hood, and her hand was loosely grasping a sheathed sword on her back. Standing on the surface of the water, Paku spoke to her. And who might you be? he asked casually. The figure lifted her fingers to the chin of her mask and brought her fingers of the other hand around the tall, pulling away the hood and lifting the mask at the same time. Tanned skin, mahogany hair, and blue eyes met him at once. Her hair was pulled back by a clasp, and her eyes settled in a fierce gaze. Hello, master, she said. It's good to see you again, Katara. The princess of the Water Nation stared at him coldly. Where do you think you're going? You know me. I flow wherever the water decides to take me, he replied with a grin. I can't let you do that. The young woman tied her demon mask to her hood and let it rest on her back. You are a wanted criminal, after all. Where is the old Katara? I didn't teach you to be as cold as the ice you wield, he responded. Fine. If it is a fight you want, you'll get it. Before he could even gather water beneath him, Katara sprung from her perch, twisting in the air and lifting water far beneath her to flight the old man. He rose above the attack on a water snake, unleashing razor blades of water on the girl. This did not face her. She slid to a stop on the ruddy riverbed, using her hands to steady herself as well as call up a flood of water, which he blocked, but she circled around and struck him with it again. The princess and former student of Master Paku called up great amounts of water with all of her attacks, which she used to crush her foes under the sheer amount of weight. But she could be quick and precise when she desired. She unsheathed the short wakazashi from her back and swung in at the old man, gathering water along the blade's length which sharpened like an elongation of her sword. When the attack missed, she held her sword and let the stream of water hang from it like a whip, which she was able to strike at him with from a long distance. Paku was not allowed to let her dominate the fight. He whipped up a wall of water and flung it at her, turning it into ice spikes while it was in the air. She simply raised her other hand and stopped them in midair, reversing the points and sending them right back at her master. She stood rigid, her mouth in a grim line, her eyes solid and steady. She broke this pattern as Paku neared, spinning rapidly with her arms extended on a slant, calling up ice spikes from the moisture in the ground. She spun three quick times, summoning ice with each one. Water snaked up her arms, coiling into whips to extend it toward the other water-bending master. The roar of an animal above her seemed to distract the girl long enough to look at it. Her eyes followed the Avatar's bison, most likely going to where the Avatar fought her brother in Bato. When she looked back at her opponent, he was gone. Katara reached for the mask on her back and pulled it back on, hiding her identity once again. Aang returned the two consecutive water jets with a rain of fire, expanding it and letting it grow with a soft breeze. Sokka and Bato both covered their faces and immediately went on the attack again. They were both fighting viciously, as if competing against each other to see who could defeat the Avatar first. Well, Aang wouldn't let either of them win. He jumped up onto one of the tree branches surrounding him and took a look over the site of battle. Bato and Sokka's soldiers were still frozen to the ground. Azula and Zuko were trying to chip Tai Lee out of a pillar of ice. Haku was nowhere to be seen. Basically, the battle was over. Before either of his opponents could attack him, he pulled out his bison whistle and blew. It did not phase the two. In fact, they seemed to be moving faster. Ink put on a burst of speed and shot from the tree, 
Running across the barren river, the flow of water had been blocked by Paku's earlier attacks, with speed only an airbender possessed. He reached Zuko, Azula, and Tylee on the other side quickly. Zuko glomly handed the avatar his air staff. We're done here. Appa's coming, he said. He melted the rest of the ice with a wave of his hand and freed Tylee quickly. To which she nodded thanks. Aang noticed the fire crown prominently displayed on Azula's head, but he did not get a chance to say anything as Bato and Sokka neared, both gathering water in their hands. Aang jumped forward and swung his staff with all his might, striking Bato with a powerful blast of wind. Sokka managed to throw himself to the ground just in time, but as he moved to get up, another blast of wind flattened him, courtesy of Appa. Aang kept an eye on Sokka as Appa landed on the ground and the other three boarded. The boy's head was face down in the mud, but as Aang watched, he lifted his face to him slowly. Then, without warning, Sokka shot his hand out and pulled up an ice spike from the mud under Aang. But with his quick reflexes, Aang was able to avoid it and jump into Appa's saddle. The bison immediately flew away. Aang looked regretfully down at his old friend, but knew he couldn't do anything now. He vowed to help Sokka later. Sabashi immediately curled around Tai Lee, who looked miserable and angry at the same time. Well, that was eventful, Aang said to them. I'll say, said Tai Lee, I got beaten up by an old lady. An old lady. I won my fight, Azula said proudly, gesturing to her newly returned headpiece. Tai Lee awed at it. And we did quite see a lot. What happened to Paku? He'll be okay, said Aang. He needed to do other things, I'm sure. Try as he might, it was not his time to learn waterbending yet. Zuko crossed his arms in Appa's head. They were able to hear the anger in his voice. At least you guys got to fight someone. I had to do all the cleanup work. It's okay, Zuzu. I'm sure there will be plenty of other water tribe heads to knock, said his sister, smirking. I feel useless, said the older boy in a low turn. I don't even have the excuse of not being able to bend. Tylee can't, and she's amazing at fighting, Zuko went on. Tylee lowered her head. We're sorry, she said to him. Don't be, he replied, albeit a little harshly. As Sabashi switched over to Aang's shoulder and nibbled on some of their food, Aang looked over to the horizon ahead of him as Zuko brooded. Try as he might to feel sorry for his friend, his mind was elsewhere. That whole time, he couldn't stop wondering where Katara could be in this world. His gaze focused on the back of Tylee's head, her braid whipping the air behind her. She seemed to be staring reluctantly to the north, toward the direction of the Golden City. What will await us there, I wonder? Hey guys, it's me. Just saying thank you for listening. You know what to do. Like, subscribe, follow, comment, appreciative things. Hit us up on Reddit, on Twitter, on Tumblr. Um, I'm not going to give you the links this week. I've been cutting it close and really need to get the episode out there. But you know the links. Just look us up. Avatar Distorted Reality Podcast. You can find us. I believe in you. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.